I was watching this podcast, watching a podcast, but it was like a, it was like this, a podcast with videotapes. And uh, and there was this there was this uh, big time, you know, multi-billionaire investor. And somebody was asking him, how do you how do you start with nothing and grow, you know, a really valuable company? We just need to capture this. We're rolling. Okay. <laughs> yeah, keep and going. His, uh, and his answer was, um, his answer, he, it was like a two-part answer. It might have been more than two parts. Only two parts that I really remembered. The first part was, you know, pick pick something that takes a long time to build where there's like real challenges. Like solve hard problems that that are so complex that they take like decades to solve. And his point was like, the longer it takes you to grow that business to something really big, that's how long it's going to last. If you have a business that spikes in growth in like six months, he says six months later, it's going to be gone. Yeah. Like it's a half-life. Well, you, you position yourself to have less competition that way as well, right? Yeah. It's just it's just harder. I mean, if it's that easy to get big, then it's replicable. Mm. Um, and also it could be a fad in terms of the sales. And so I loved hearing that because that's solar. Isn't that solar? Yeah. You got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. And yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We're here with Sunrun Chief Products Officer Mike Sachdev. What's up, Mike? How are you? Doing well. How are you? You've descended down from the mountains to be with us today. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking with Mike before this episode started. You might have committed to this merge more than anybody else. You're you're a Utah resident. I mean, I don't, it's not much of a commitment to move to Park City and yeah, ski on the weekends. <laughs> but I think I think some of your cohorts in Northern California might not know that, right? They might not know the secret. No, they world hear about it regularly. Yeah. <laughs> are they? Are you creating some FOMO for them? Like, are they feeling like they're missing out? I, I there are a couple of them I think who are saying, you know, how's the snow? And I'm like, it's snowing right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, in California resorts, it'll snow for like a couple days and then you deal with that snow for about a month. Exactly. And then maybe you get some Yeah, more no, later. we had whiteout snow for like a week straight. And I think I was on calls every day and be like, how are the snow? And I literally would just turn the camera to the window. You're like, I just feel happy. Yeah. You know, what, to, what caused you to move to Park City? It was a lot of things. I mean, you know, definitely the merger. Um, but also, you know, with COVID, which has just been hard for so many people in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, we're totally blessed in my family that no one's been sick. We've had no challenges like that. But, you know, I have three little kids and they weren't in school. Um, and it just, you know, California is really having trouble getting the schools open. And um, it just seemed like a, a great it's kind of a solve, like be here, get to know the team, you know, kind of help culturally integrate the companies and then also give my kids a chance to go to school. It was kind of perfect. And then the weekend skiing is like the icing. That's awesome. So, That's the long term plan. You're like bought a house. You're here. Yeah. That's really cool. It, it's kind of reversed. Like a lot of our guys will start here and then they, you know, they trek out to market and then they make our various like sales markets their homes. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to see like kind of those chapters of your life, like to embrace them. And all of a sudden, like Adam's been a Boston, uh, you know, resident for what? 10 years. 10 years. I'm out in Southern California. That's how like all of our friends are, you know? Yeah, we, I grew up out here and then moved to Boston. Like a lot of our guys where we've sort of displaced to, to get the, the sales growing. And every time I come back to Utah, I'm always like, man, it is, there's so much to love about Utah. I mean, I've been here for a couple of days, skiing every day, snowmobiling this morning. No one told me how sunny it was going to be. 
Yeah. I've, I have sunglasses like in every room now. Like, yeah. Everywhere I go, every, every <laughs> coat. They're in every coat. It's a good spot. Know, it's a, I, I feel like in Utah is a hidden little gem. It's well, awesome. and I forget, like when you live here, mm. the mountains, I remember we'd recruit people and we'd bring them into town and they'd always be like, Staring those mountains. mountains. And you're like, oh yeah, there's mountains. But like when <laughs> I come back into town now and I'm yeah. like, they're same. really huge. They're huge. You know? Same thing. Um, they're huge. So let's talk about your, your background because when, uh, you know, when we were preparing for this interview and just kind of getting to know you a little bit better, I mean, you, you, you did all of the things. You did all of the things that a successful people person should do. So pre-med at Johns Hopkins, right? And then you went yep. to Columbia Law School. You, you, know, you practiced law for how many years? Like around 10. 10 years. And now you're chief products officer for Sunrun. So what do you actually want to be when you grow up? Well, I think I've proved by now that I'm never <laughs> going to grow up. <laughs> so, so I just don't have to answer the question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I, what, what am I going to be and, next? Maybe, yeah, what was your question. plan and how has it evolved? Um, honestly, I had a really traditional kind of like immigrant parent upbringing where it was, you know, all about school. And there were really not a lot of like educational paths or career paths that were okay. There were, there were certain ones that were like, you should do this. So engineering would have been allowed, mm-hmm. you know, pre-med was allowed, law school was allowed, those kinds of things. So, you know, I, I did my homework and, um, and I kind of had this choice, you know, and I, was, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and then kind of at the end of college, I just said, you know, I actually don't want to do that. Um, and I was working at the time as a freelance reporter for fun hmm. for like an alternative weekly. Nobody reads those anymore. Um, cause it's all online, but, yeah. you know, back in, this is in the nineties. Right. So, um, and I covered the Baltimore, um, mayoral election. They were, they were electing a new mayor and it was, um, it was, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he ended up becoming the mayor, uh, sorry, the governor of Maryland. And then he ran for president, hmm. um, Martin O'Malley. Okay. And, uh, so he, he won and I, I covered that election and I got to see like firsthand how politics and government, like actually really impact everyone all the time. So I got super interested in law and I just applied to law school and went to law school. It was, it was kind of one of those like, hmm. you know, decisions you make when you're 20 and you, you sort of don't think it through. Yeah. I like how he casually applied to law school and went to Columbia. Went ahead and got in. Yeah, went ahead like and got Most that. people are like, you know what, maybe I'll go to law school. And they look at the local, like little local ones around their town, you know, but not Mike. Um, yeah. So I went to law school and, um, I was really into, you know, law, law, what like TV law, like real law. You mm-hmm. know, like most lawyers, you don't realize like trial litigation. Yeah. yeah, like I, I, I tried cases, but like most lawyers go to law school. You know, people go to law school and they want to do, they want to stay in New York City, especially Columbia. They want to do deal work. You know, it's it's not glamorous. There's nothing TV about it, right? It's it's a uh, it's a deal lot work of work like business stuff, like, like buying like and selling companies, transactions, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, and I didn't touch any of that stuff in law school. Like I took like civil rights and first amendment, like all of the like high minded kind of stuff. And, uh, cause that's what I was into. And then, um, I went to a firm and had a litigation practice and, you know, over time just ended up doing business law because that's what pays the bills. That's what, that's what pays salaries and kind of, you know, keeps families fed and all that. Um, but I, but I never lost like, you know, my interest in kind of like the, the more high-minded stuff. And so um, there was a, there was a, in the last, you know, bit, I guess recession, we didn't really have a recession. We sort of had a recession this year, right? Um, but the last one was like 08, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. I luckily did not lose my job, but I had a lot fewer hours. Like I just wasn't busy. There wasn't enough work. 
And so they loaned me out to the, um, to the, it's, it's like the U.S. Attorney's Office, but it's for the D.C., for the D.C., not for the federal government. It's like the local prosecutor's office. Mm-hmm. And I prosecuted, um, I prosecuted, uh, D.C. has this problem of like illegal massage parlors that are actually, um, you know, brothels, right? Um, and I prosecuted a bunch of them and got them shut down. And it was just, it just like the deeper I got into it, the more messed up it was. Like you just sort of human trafficking, like all this stuff underneath it. And I just got really, I got really into it. I got really passionate about it. this is so wrong. Mm. I like, really focused on it. Um, and so I just like threw myself at it. It was like, kind of the last case I did. Um, but I won like a $3 million verdict. It was super fun. Wow. Uh, super fun to like, you know, right or wrong and like have a big outcome mm-hmm. and yeah, all awesome. the money. So it's just something you really believe in, right? It's not it just really winning cool. the case. It's, yeah. And so, you know, going back to your question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think what I've generally done is just find things I'm really interested in. Because if you're interested in something, you put your heart into it, generally the outcomes are there. Um, you know, I find something I'm really interested in and just like pour myself into it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I realized kind of after that case, actually, that I didn't really want to be a business lawyer anymore. And so um, I wanted to go in-house and I wanted to go in-house at a renewable energy company. And you're like, what is the jump here from, the, <laughs> uh, you know, shutting down human trafficking was not like a career for me. It's not something that I was like, I was really interested in that specific issue and like the facts on the ground, but I was really interested in the environment. And so I found Sunrun and joined as a lawyer because that's what I knew how to do. But I kind of always knew that I wanted to move to the business side. So oh, really? you know, people who've known me since you know nine years ago when I joined would probably say that I was like getting into all kinds of things that weren't law from day one. Hmm. Um, and that was totally intentional. You were not staying in your lane. Yeah, I have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really good advice. And you know, we just talked to Lynn and she had talked about the company values of of you know maintaining curiosity and how mm. that's so important to like development and stuff. And as important as it is to development, it's it's important for fulfillment, right? Because so many people and we see it all the time. We recruit a lot of salespeople and sales leaders. And when they, when, when we start talking to them, we learn that there are a lot, like probably the majority of people that we come across are doing their job because they feel like they have to, right? Like this pays bills. This is something, ah, would I like to do something else? Yeah, but what am I going to do? Change. And we're sitting across the table being like, yeah, you need to, you need to change and go for it. And it's, that's one of those um, commonalities that I think our two companies shared that has kind of made this merge a little bit more seamless. Right, that idea to stay like open and curious and figure totally out how agree. things work. I totally agree. Every single person I've met from Vivint Solar has been open-minded, creative, looking for you know the best solutions, the kind of you know everyone wins kind of solutions. It's been great. Well, so now you're working with um, products, right? And I think it falls in line with what you've been talking about, how you find something that you're really passionate about. So, so I'm assuming that you're on the forefront of all of our newest products, you're constantly entertaining potential ideas that we could take the company in different directions, things like that. And we touched on it with Lynn a little bit, how she's probably had to learn how to say no to some things as well. And I'm assuming you probably have as well. But um, what what does get you excited right now? Like what what's the thing that has you like, man, this is going to be awesome? That's a great question. There's, there's a bunch of things and they kind of intersect. So I think one of the reasons why product is so interesting to me in our space is because solar isn't just, you know, a, a service product and it isn't just an installation. It's also a challenge to an existing regulatory regime. And so, you know, 
and this is something that I think Sunrun has done very well, is that we understand the intersection of the financing, the regulation, the, you know, the politics. There's a lot of politics behind it as well. And then obviously the hardware and the service and the things that, that are more you can touch and feel and like you see every day. And so the thing that really excites me is, you know, Sunrun's like a 14-year-old company now and, and Vivint's not, you know, obviously we're one company now, but Vivint's been around almost as long. Mm -hmm. um, so we've all collectively been doing this for a long time. But it, in some ways it feels like the first day right now. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. So one, I mean, obviously from a regulatory perspective, we just saw an ITC extension and I think we're expecting another bigger one, right? Yeah, almost like there's talks about that just being yeah. the way it is going forward, right? Or potentially even raising it back to 30. Oh, really? I don't know what's gonna happen there, but there's a lot of discussion. You uh -huh. just read the newspaper, you can see it. Mm -hmm. And so th there's a, from a regulatory perspective, it almost feels like a day one. You know, back when the ITC was first approved, which is right at the end of Bush's term, you know, that's when his second term, that's when you saw solar start to happen and it feels like it's gonna happen all over again in a way. That's the first thing that sort of is motivating. Second thing is batteries are actually becoming more important. They're more important than solar panels now in a way. Solar panels are, are very commodified. Um, the differences between different panels are really not that great. They're super cheap, um, which has enabled a lot more adoption and better pricing and, and you know all the companies to enter more markets and all those things. And we're at the front end, the day one comment applies in, in a large part to batteries, which are super important. You know, we have weather re related reasons that we want to install batteries. Um, they also start to erode uh, some of the sort of regulatory challenges in the sense of like, you know, utilities don't want to pay for export um, at times when uh, energy is is uh, is cheap. In other words, they don't want to pay you your the full retail rate to send solar power back to the grid when they could be buying it from a, f a power plant for right. really cheap rates. Right. The flip side of that is they also don't want you to use power when they could be selling it to you at a really high rate. And California utilities have figured this out and they're charging really yeah. high rates at peak. The battery solves that problem in two ways, right? It, it allows you to charge from your solar and not export at times when they're grid doesn't want to pay for it, and then allows you to use from your battery when you could be paying the grid too much, arguably, for power. Mm. So it's, it's you know, you're, you're at this moment where some of the historical challenges with the business model are getting unwound in a way by, by battery, um, and the battery is still so early, it's going to get a lot cheaper. So, I mean, I, I've personally, we, we've all seen batteries come down in price by almost 50% in the last three, four years, and I think that's going to happen again, like literally maybe not three, four years, five, six years, you know, and when a battery is 2,500 bucks, aren't we gonna put a battery in every house? Or three. Or three, Yeah. and have whole home backup, and it starts to unlock a lot of other things, um, because what it then, then unlocks is grid services, which is another area that I'm, I'm really focused on, which is you can aggregate these batteries with a software layer and actually sell energy and energy services to utilities. And so we're not just building a consumer service company, we're actually building the utility of the future. And that is, I mean, first of all, that's just really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's also, um, it's like world changing, right? When you think about our utility model has been the same for over hundred years. Build poles and wires, have coal and natural gas plants, pollute a whole bunch, make way more power than you need and lose tons of it as you transmit it over the wires. Super wasteful, all in the name of making sure that every time you plug in that hairdryer, it turns on. 
you know, and I, there was an executive that we met, you know, Lynn was actually in the room so years ago, who was describing our energy system as the equivalent of building a 20 lane highway just to make sure you had no traffic between five and six o'clock, mm-hmm. even though most of those lanes would never be used. Mm-hmm. That's how our energy system is currently set up. And the only reason we don't say no to that is because you can't see it. Whereas if you had the 20 lane highway, everybody would see it. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. The, uh, it it kind of reminds me hearing you um, speak like that. I want to talk about differentiation and how Sunrun is positioned because a lot of the, the uh, people that we're recruiting against aren't competitors of our scale because there's really not one, right? We, we, we have a lot of people that, you know, they, yep. they, they started a little operation and they're, they're talking about some efficiencies that they experience as like a really lean operation or whatever. But it kind of reminds me of that story of, uh, you know, the Pepsi CEO that came to work with Steve Jobs where he said, hey, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come change the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot of people in the industry now and they're just like consumers are starting to get really educated and knowing mm-hmm. what they want, so are career sellers. Like career sellers are asking us questions that they didn't used to ask, mm-hmm. right? Like what are what are your turn times? What are your baselines? What are your red lines? What are all these different things? So what would you say to that from a product standpoint? Why why yeah uh, why Sunrun versus one of these more lean oper- operations? That's a great question. I have a lot of ways to answer that question. So I want to start first with like. You know, you made a comment about career sellers, and I want to want to kind of talk about that a little bit. So, if you're a career seller, right? And, and I'm I'm saying this as someone who's I've sold, I mean I've sold all kinds of things in my life, um, but also as someone who just I manage a career. We all manage careers, right? So you want to do the thing that you do. You want to do it the best you can, and you want to do it at the best place to do it. That's ideally, if you're ambitious, that's what you're that's what you're going for, and so you think about a career seller, why is a career seller going to be drawn to solar? They're going to be drawn to solar because solar is more than just a product sale. It's a lifestyle sale. It's a change of the world, change society kind of a sale. And no surprise, that kind of sale also has great financial reward for a seller, right? So if you're a really good seller, totally you should be in solar. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Then the next question is, why should you do it at Sunrun versus somewhere else? Well, I think you should... You should be at, You should always want to be at the place that's at the best, that's the best, right? It's at the top. And you say, well, what am I going to get out of it? Like, what's in it for me, right? And I think the way I think about this is, and that that probably gets directly to your question. The way I think about this is, is that you know we we're talking about solar panels being highly commodified, and now it's really batteries that we're moving to batteries and grid services. So when you look at the, I call it the long tail, you know, the lean installers, the, the, the small installers. Half the market is made up of these installers. They install a product that has no complexity to it. Like part of the reason they're so lean is that they're not thinking about batteries. They're not thinking about grid services. They're not probably even putting a ton of thought into like some of the fine points between should I put a large format panel and potentially give up an entire row of panels? Should I do a high efficiency smaller format panel and get a whole nother row of panels? And then I, the system's potentially bigger, but maybe not. And there's like a bunch of math behind what is the best offer. Right. I mean, I'm just giving you examples of like the everyday things that we think about that if you're running a super lean installation shop, you are not thinking about. Why does that matter? So it matters because if you look at every other industry, particularly in the last 30 years, once they went digital, the analog version died and the digital version scaled. Like every other industry, we've seen that and we're going to keep seeing it. And there's actually not that much left. 
And so what I'm really excited about, this has been a very long answer to no, your it's, first it's, question. I like your line no, of thinking you know, because what this I'm is really how excited about, think about it. Is we're about to digitize this industry in like several ways. So first of all, if you think about the solar system that even we or Vivint was putting up just a couple years ago, it's the same system that these small installers are putting up. Sure. Panels, you have an inverter, right? You got a meter. You got I mean, a we were talking a couple years ago. That meter was communicating over cell towers and not even over wireless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like just you see that evolution towards becoming increasingly digital. So like, and that was it. It was not a smart device. Like it basically. You know, it converted power, it sent it to your house, and then there was a cell-based meter that made a, the equivalent of a cell phone phone call to, you know, some central hub and said, here's how many kilowatt hours were produced. And that was the system. And that is still what is sold today in the vast majority of sales. We're moving to a place where the origination of that customer, the selection of devices for the home, which we will need to include an EV charger, it will need to include a load monitor and the ability to provide load insights and control what's going on in the home. Like all of that is gonna to have to be digitized. Frankly, even the sales platform is radically is going through transformation. And an area of competition right now, more among sales employers than among installers, because there's a difference, but anybody who employs salespeople you know, the big battle is over the platform and the rep experience. And that's all about how slick is this tool, how, you know, that digital experience. And so why do you want to be at the biggest place? Because we have the resources and the brain power and the people and, you know, and the, the design capabilities and like all, it's a very complex problem. You need a lot of people, smart people thinking about this stuff. You can actually get to a place where the sales platform and the products are there, they just, it's a, it runs away. Like they, the small installers won't be able to keep up. You know, I, I used to call it the difference between dumb solar and smart solar. Yeah. Um, I don't, I wouldn't call it that in like external marketing. I just think it's, it's a little pejorative, but that is how I think about it. Mm -hmm. And we're really heading towards smart solar, right? Where, you know, where the customer is going to have an app and it's going to do more than tell them about production. It's going to show them their bill, the utility bill, whether or not they're saving, which is something that people still don't totally have their arms around. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's going to show them loads and it's going to control devices. I mean, we're, we're talking about adding cars to our grid services platform and having people export power from their car to the grid and get paid for it. I mean, this is, this is stuff that like, you know, a small installer, you know, a guy who's got, you know, four trucks and, you know, four or five person crews, they're not going to do that. Yeah, well, and like on a smaller scale, I think of it like, what are, what are some products that are like everyday kind of commodities that have become lifestyle things. So we saw this with security, but take like a thermostat, right? Like you remember those like standard old Honeywell, like mercury thermostats, right? It's a great example. Versus your Nest where it's like, or, or you know, I have a Vivint system in my house. So whenever I'm gone, I get a text like, hey, everyone's away. We adjusted your thing. And you know, I check the cameras and I talk to my kids and yep. I, you know, I make sure my babysitter's doing the job we asked her to do and stuff like that, yep. which really makes my house like and and the way I interact with my smart system, it makes it a lifestyle thing. Mm -hmm. Do you do you see a point? Because I've always thought in my head that energy still, it, it it fuels and pretty much dictates human experience, right? Everything we do, you extract energy from it, and it's and you can't continue to live the lives that we're living. But it's still not connected in a lifestyle way. Like we don't share. Oh, how most people don't know how they use power. Most people don't think. Okay, I need to charge this to my car. I need to have this set. If there's a blackout, I'm still good. Right. So mm -hmm. do you think that we'll get to a point where it'll bridge the gap where where energy will actually be like a lifestyle type product? That's an interesting one. No one's ever asked me that question before. So 
I think how you make and consume energy will become a lifestyle product. I think there's a segment of our customers who buy solar because it's green. And actually, they would, we've, we've done studies on this. They would pay more than what the utility charges because they just care about that. Mm. That is a lifestyle choice. I think the ability to have backup in an outage is a lifestyle choice. You've, you've said, you know, if there's going to be a severe weather event, I want to be the family with the lights on. That's yeah, yeah. a lifestyle choice. You asked, you know, do I think people are going to, you know, interact with it in quite the same way that you might with your nest? And I have a nest, so I, I get it. Um, I, I don't know about that level. I was, I was having this conversation today with someone on my team. Like, do people want to see kilowatt hour reporting on a daily or weekly basis of like how much, how many kilowatt hours their device is used? I don't know. Maybe there's a handful not. of customers and we know their name. Yeah, I mean, those, <laughs> there's, there's, like, there's an enthusiast. I think, what, I think what would be cool is for them to see the environmental impact their yeah. system's having. For you know, sure that. Like that. And will the app get shown at a party and will they talk about it? And because like, you know, we drive Teslas and it's like smart solar versus dumb solar. Okay, I'm driving a rental car today mm-hmm. that I had to steer, that I had to put my so location nice. into the thing that didn't do an update. I Tesla's just have to get a great a, example. I just have to get a new model car if one, I want the new features. Once you've driven the Tesla for six months, and it's and the same really price. Do you have wheel. one as well? Yeah, and you get behind the wheel of, uh, you know, an, an older model car, or even a really nice car, but that doesn't have that same yeah. really nice touchscreen yeah. experience. I, I get. I'm like actually a little bit disoriented now. Oh, <laughs> like, we we talk about it all the time. Like, like we always say, the quality of the Tesla we're never impressed with. We're like, it feels like a cheap car, but you can never go back because of the tech. The, it's like the, the tech the, 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 uh, is just so the far ahead screen, of everything. The, app, it's the experience like, is incredible. You can never well, go back. When we drive, so I came from a BMW M5. Adam had an Audi A7. So they're not like old clunky cars. No, they're okay. They're fine. And then we get <laughs> we get into these, these cars and it's like the thing that I think about with my Tesla is we travel a lot. So if I get in, I live in southern Orange County and if I drive to the high desert, that's like a three hour drive. Mm-hmm. But my car navigates me there now and it's given me on, on that drive it gives me four hours to like work or make my calls or do my things and I wonder if you know we're looking at solar that same way where it's like okay what we just saw in Texas and I actually want to see your take on that because you probably have some insight into mm-hmm. the spike in activity and what mm-hmm. like customers want out there but it literally will become the type of product where it's like hey my quality of life yep. is actually better yep yeah and I, before we talk about Texas which is a, another great direction to go I want to just, you know, I don't think people want to see the kilowatt hours. Right. Going back to that point. What I do think people would want, yeah, you know, they could show it at parties, but I actually think there's like an experience that you could provide, which is, hey, by the way, this device is doing something strange. You know, your car isn't charging the way it used to. Your your electric dryer is on the fritz, like whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I think that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I also think that... Um, there is a there is a community nature to this where we all share this grid right now, but but and this is why the grid is so efficient is that it's built for all of us. We don't have to give anything back to it, and there's going to be a community grid as we start to develop a distributed system of grid services assets. You know, solar and storage connected by a, a software layer, and as that starts to happen, what we're going to find is that people are actually, you know, you can imagine there's an outage notification coming. Imagine Texas. Picture Texas. We'll go to Texas. Picture Texas, what happened in Texas, and picture they saw it coming and every single home had batteries in it. 
And they literally put out an announcement that said, if all of you export your batteries, or if all of you let us have control of your battery right now, we can prevent a statewide four-day shutdown that will cost people their lives. Like, that's, that's what's at stake to mm -hmm. me, right? Man, I always wondered what's going to happen to the grid. Like, because I, I, in my head, I was always like, okay, there's a war coming between solar's going to get so big and renewables are going to be so viable that eventually the utility companies can't just pass these laws that buy them another quarter or another six months. Like, eventually we're going to have to fight. But what you're saying is, the, the, it's almost like Airbnb. Like, there's a whole network of places to stay that's, that's literally provided by owners. Why don't, why don't we, why don't the power companies just get on the bandwagon? So we've, I mean, we've, and we've announced some of these, but we, we've done deals with power companies to sell them excess power out of the, out of the batteries. They're, they're open to it. It's not at the scale yet where it's going to solve a major grid issue. So power company is not at the point where, you know, the CEO can call up Lynn and say, I've got a real problem coming up on Saturday. It's going to be hot and I'm expecting people to run their AC. Can you please give me a ton of power? Um, they can do that with the natural gas plant, right? Um, and the reason is, is we don't have enough of them yet. So I would say the utilities aren't opposed to buying capacity from our batteries, but it just hasn't achieved a, a meaningful scale yet. I think what they dislike, and, and this, is a real, this is a real challenge, is that we have, we have, this is what they would say. They would say, you're taking customers off the grid. They're paying less money. That money is not just for electricity, right? It's for grid maintenance. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, the more people you take off the grid, the less we can maintain the grid. Or they have to raise the prices. Or they have to raise the prices. Now, I think, I think the ultimate counter, the ultimate comeback to that super red herring argument is you've had this grid for 100 years and solar wasn't here and you weren't taking care of the grid right. and you raised prices. Well, so, and like, it subsidized at a higher rate than solar, there's right? There's something else going on. Yeah. And it's not it's not solar, right? Mm -hmm. So you know it's like it's it, so solar's late to the party here, right? right? It's not solar's not the cause of all these problems. Yeah, and and so that's that's the first argument. The second argument is like having a distributed grid actually makes maintaining the grid cheaper. So a lot of typical problems with the grid. One problem with the grid would be we went and built a community out in this new place, and now we have to build poles and wires out into that new place. Or you could just put batteries in those homes and not build those poles and wires. And another problem with the grid is an area got more populated, there is grid infrastructure, but you have to upgrade it to handle more power. Mm -hmm. And again, you could, you could do that, or you could just put batteries in, in those homes and actually the grid wouldn't feel the strain. Like telecom, like you could, you could go lay landlines or whatever, or they can just use cell phones, right? I mean, the, the, the telecom cell phone analogy is the perfect analogy for you know, a centralized grid and a distributed grid. Um, and I, it's like, and if you look at that, I mean, going back to my point about digital, if you look at that industry, you know, I got, I got a cell phone in, you know, 1998, and it was like this big, and it, you know, was kind of bad. And it, there's only like two models of phones, so it was either yeah. the one that had the like collapsible Brick. antenna or the big Wong one. I had the hard, the, the big black Nokia with the hard <laughs> uh, antenna yeah. on top. <laughs> Indestructible. Fifty bucks a month. Yeah, you weren't getting cracked screens on those. And man. I got like 50 minutes. Yeah. I think I got, it was like a dollar a minute, right? Yeah, you and would hang up on your friends at 59 seconds. That's right. It was, it was, I mean, <laughs> just, it was, to get, just so you didn't get charged. It was great. It was great. And then I just, in literally just like two years' time, we, we've moved away from these phones, but I had that little Nokia. It was this big, mm -hmm. right? And, and it worked all the time, and the plan was maybe 90 bucks a month, but it was unlimited, right? And, and that was just a few years' time, and you just see that adoption 
you know, and at that time, I, everyone still had a landline, and then you flash forward 10 years and no one has a landline. And then you flash forward 10 years more and no one has a cable plan either. Like we, it's all that, all that centralized stuff is gone. Mm-hmm. We used to tell customers, you know, the concerns that we would get selling door to door 10 years ago just aren't the concerns we get today, right? Like we would get concerns like, well, I don't know if I like how it looks on the house or like what happens if like all these concerns that just aren't even, are just non-issues now because of how the industry's grown. And my question to you is, as much as it's grown over the last 10 years, you know, where where are we at on the, like on the arc here? Like, are we are we still, you know, in that like slow growing or are we in the accelerated portion of it? I think we're at the front of the accelerated portion. I think the early adopters are out, we're past them. In, in, it's market by market, but for the most part. Right. And then I think you had some acceleration from weather events. So you look at California and, and it's, you know, there have been periods of time in the last year where couldn't even keep up with demand. There, there were shortages of materials or, you know, you just, you just, you know, there was, there's been a labor shortage in California I mean, you can't get enough people to install solar. I mean, it's, it's creating that many jobs. Um, it was just great. Right. It's great. And that, that comes back to the question of like, again, why Sunrun? Because we're huge. We have resources, we have people, you know, if there's a, if there's a problem to solve, we're going to be able to solve it faster. Um, if there's a labor shortage, if there's a hardware shortage, who, who's going to get stuff Yeah, we're first. first in line. We're always yeah. first in line. Um, I have a hard question. Now, also, I do want to say this, Mike. You have the glasses in your hand. Usually when I'm in a sales environment and I have glasses and I'm asked a tough question by a customer. You put them on? For dramatic effect. <laughs> no, for dramatic effect, they ask the question. I take them off slowly, fold them, put them in my pocket, and then look up and answer. This really builds the suspense of the answer. Well, they've been off the whole time, so maybe this has been one big tough question. Maybe, maybe we should put them on for this next question. Maybe just we so I can them take them on. off. Yeah. By the way, it's the first I time we've like met, we and we're just them. drilling. Right, let's do I it. Like we should. My glasses are on. I'm ready for the we're hard see how well you do this dramatic effect. Yeah. So um, how come we're not in the manufacturing side of the business? <laughs> He's like, rips them off. That's not a this hard, not a hard well, question. Not a, well, I mean, we don't make batteries. Let we're me put my glasses about, away. We're, yeah. selling the, we're selling the, you know, we're selling these panels. Yeah. We're selling these batteries. Why don't we make it? Yeah. So there's a multi-prong answer here. I'm going to start with the, the number one reason we're not in manufacturing is because, because our business is to sell the best solar service that we can. When, when, when we have a sales rep, all our sales, whether it's our, whether it's our direct-to-home team or other teams, all of our sales in the end involve somebody sitting down with a customer in the home or on the phone, right? And having a conversation around energy, we talked about lifestyle, it's kind of a family choice. You think about like, you know, we've, we've done research, you know, a lot of times it takes both spouses to make the decision. You know, whether or not people buy a battery is a lot to do with whether or not they have kids or where they live. I mean, it, this is like a real, we call it a consultative sale. You know, a couple of years ago, we came up with this concept of be the guide at Sunrun. And, I, you know, you guys don't call it that, but it's the same thing, right? You be the guide. You show up and you guide the customer through this process. I think if you're in manufacturing and you've got one panel and one battery and one inverter, you risk walking into the home and that's the product. And it may not be the right product for that family may not be the right solution for that family. And your product may not be the best product. It could be the best product the year you design it, and then someone may beat you. And now 
you're trying to tell a story about this product that may not actually be the right story. And we've seen it. I mean, our competitors have done this. Like this was SunPower's business model for a decade. That business model's over. SunPower has split those businesses in half. It was not successful because they had challenges. You know, they, they did a really good job marketing the panel, but in the end, it wasn't competitive with a lot of other things out there and the sales reps were forced to sell it and they didn't want to sell it and the business model fell apart. So you have this challenge of, you want to bring the best product to the consumer. The beauty of our business model is that we compete all of these vendors against each other and we bring to the kitchen table the best stuff available at the best price, right? We have, you know, an approved vendor list. We don't just let anybody on it. And the stuff we sell is, is high quality and we think it's going to last a long time. And we have different, you know, we, you guys know this, we have black on black, we have black on white. We have, you know, for the panels, we have, um, you know, we have high efficiency in some markets where, where it makes sense. You know, we've moved to large format because we think that can create value for the customer. We're constantly iterating on what's going to create the most value for the customer. You go back to these smaller installers, part of being lean means having one SKU. It means having one panel, one inverter, right? And that's how they operate. And they can get to super low cost in a bunch of ways, but they may not actually be selling the right thing. Mm. And they don't actually, that's not their concern. It's not their primary concern. Their primary concern is get the lowest build cost that I can so I can recruit a sales rep and make that sale happen. And that's, you know, look, like I'm a capitalist. We're all in business here. That's a, that's a business activity. Like mm -hmm. that's, um, there's nothing morally wrong with that, but it's not, it's not starting to go up that, that mountain to the sort of pinnacle of like what this industry can be, what this product can be. You're not going to get to this highly digitized, smart experience with that approach. Well, it seems like our focus is we're trying to create a service for customers and grow at scale where if you're constantly focused on manufacturing, you're spending a large majority of your time just trying to stay ahead of competition's That's right. technology, right? And we're like, we don't want to focus on that. We That's just right. want to focus on providing a service for homeowners. That's right. What about, um, you know, devil's advocate here, might want to put the glasses on. Uh, <laughs> isn't that... <laughs> Okay, you good? Hey, you're welcome for that. <laughs> yeah, that was good. good. I'm line. ready. Just, uh, <laughs> you you know, one of our competitors might listen to this and say, well, that's what we do with our financial products. Like some of our, our dealer friends will sit down and they're like, okay, open up the jacket. What do you want a Rolex? What do you want a, a pen? What do you want this? Mm -hmm. You know, and we have our PPA, which is a product that we've created, right? I mm -hmm. mean, we've created the contract. We've set up the financing. Mm -hmm. And for a loan, we're the same as everybody else. There's nothing that any company can do that we can't do mm -hmm. loan-based. But... How is that different, that same mentality? Because though we don't do it from a manufacturing process, we kind of do it from a, from a financial product standpoint, where we have one product that we sell. Yeah, it's a great question. So, so our model I, I versus, was gonna, yeah, I was, yeah. I was, when we were talking about the hardware, I was gonna give two answers. The first one was our model is to bring the best value to the customer. The, other, the second one, which we didn't get to, but the second one is, is that there is a, there's a lot of competition and a lot of it's fully, it's very commodified, right? So you're at a place where there's so many panel manufacturers, so many, and then tons of them went out of business. And the ones who are left have competed all the margin away. And it is like mm -hmm. super thin margin, super, super cheap. We've been talking about, we've just come up multiple times today how mm -hmm. cheap panels have become. It's crazy. You get panels for like 30 cents a watt now. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? Um, financing is not like that. Financing is actually still an area where there's a little bit of a moat. You know, where, where if you're good at it, if you're really good at it, it's something special. It's not so 
competitive that it's commodified and the margin has gone away and the, the value to the customer has gone away and it's just been competed down to, you know, the most bare bone offering with, you know, no bells and whistles and all that. It's actually not that at all. I mean, like the Sunrun PPA and the terms around the Sunrun PPA um, and, the, and the whole product characteristics, you know, our, our performance guarantee and the way we can finance batteries and like all those things, nobody has that. People have come close, they've tried, but no one actually has that. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something we definitely want to keep, you know, in the family, under the tent, you know, for our people, for our customers. And it's something that maybe that's outside of the resources of a small group. That's a great answer. I've actually, uh, I get that question a lot. Like, okay. why wouldn't you want to have 50 options to give to a customer? Well, and there's think, another answer. To, that's a, yeah, so the PPA. I want to talk about the loan and the options in a minute. Sure, too. but I, I've never had it explained that way, where it's like, well, financing is, it's, you know, if you're if you're talking hardware, yep. it's 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 hardware, it's widgets, it's trinkets, it's 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 stuff you make and sell. Yep. But this is a service. So I'm not the only one who thinks this, by the way. So there's a guy, Jigger Shaw, who started Sun Edison, right? Before even Sunrun started. Yeah. And, we know um, a thing or two about Sun Edison. And, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tread, of course you guys. That's our crazy ex-girlfriend over there, so man. So Jigger Shaw. Well, I don't think he was still CEO. I think he had he moved on it was, by the time yeah, that. Yeah. He, he was, so Jigger Shaw yeah. founded Sun Edison, and he. Um, he just today actually posted on LinkedIn that he was tapped by the Department of Energy to come lead a giant loan fund and, and do government loans for renewable energy programs. And the guy is like, you know, along with like Ed Fenster, he's like probably one of the most prolific, you know, you know finance, solar finance or, or renewable energy finance minds in the United States, right? And I've just put Ed in that. Ed. Hi, Ed. Yeah, Ed, get it, Ed. <laughs> Enjoy Ed. But yeah, no, Ed's great. Ed's, Ed's a genius. We all know this. But uh, but so 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 um, so Jigger Shaw just announced this, and if you do like Googling of what he thinks about the industry, or read anything that he's written, he always says the same thing. He says adoption and financing are the hurdles. Those are the hard things that like we as a society need to figure out. Hardware. Like technology, so that's the easy part. Like the technology is there and it's so competitive, like it's gonna keep advancing and it's gonna keep getting cheaper. So like he's not even worried about that. Like that's that's all in place. We have, the technology has effectively provided the sandbox for us to go and figure this out. But his view is that it's really the financing and the adoption, which is why, as I just described, the financing is something, if you've got something really good, you, you wanna keep it. And then the adoption point is the sale. Right, the, the sale is really, really important because you've got to convince people to do something different when what they have generally works, and that's that's a tough sale. It's a different kind of sale. I think one of the things that that we're learning, um, you know, working with people that are in the industry that uh, we didn't work with previously, is um, how committed and developed, and not not to just blow sunshine, but the 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 senior leadership team at Sunrun is very impressive. They're very impressive to us because. You know, you, you, you work at a high level trying to, like, you know, carry this mission, and there's not many people like you, right, in the world. And then I feel like Sunrun came in, and we're like, oh, wow, they're just like us. Like, they think like us. They try really hard. They're, they're developing their leadership. They're strategizing. They're, they're, they're putting their heart into something, which is great. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk maybe to our leaders um, on how you do that. Like, how, how, you know, we were talking before we started rolling about a developmental piece that you saw about how long it takes to develop businesses. But what do you do, Mike? personally to make sure that that you're keeping up with the opportunity I want to make sure I understand the question what do you do for your personal development because you've done a lot of different things and now you are you're in you're the chief products officer of the most 
uh, you know, rapidly fastest growing like world changing solar company. So it's, it's not something that you can just rest on your laurels, right? You have to continue to, to stay sharp. So I'm interested in how you think about your yep. development and the opportunity. Yep. So one of them is actually just one of our company values, which is curiosity. Um, I'm an extremely curious person, which is why my career has been like all over the place. And really what I do is I just am constantly learning. So, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I started working as, as the chief product officer, you know, there were areas of the business that I understood extremely, extremely well, but there were areas of the business that I really hadn't had a ton of exposure to that I needed to get up to speed on quickly. And, you know, we can all think of times when we had to like cram, you know, I actually really enjoy the process of learning. So for me, when there's something I don't know, I lean into it, I get excited about it. And I, I'm, I just want to find out more. And I think that that is, you know, that served me personally really well. Um, and I think it would serve anybody really well. So, I mean, you know, even, even, even for, for anybody at our company, we're constantly changing, you know, battery is a big change for us where, you know, three, four years ago, we sold no batteries and now we sell, you know, massive percentage of batteries. And in a few years, you know, 80, 90% of our customers are going to buy batteries. So everybody in the company is going to have to become really conversant in batteries. I'm using it as an example, you know, but people are going to have to learn about batteries and how they work and what the lingo and the technology and all that stuff. So I think curiosity is one. And I think the other one, and this is one that I really try to instill in my teams as well. Um, I've heard it called a lot of things. Like I've heard people call it first principles thinking, um, or, you know, I, I call it breaking problems down to their smallest pieces and the opposite of it is lazy thinking. So like, you know, when you have a problem, it's really easy to have a gut reaction and say, what is the answer? And a lot of times it's right. But I really find that if you take the time to break a problem down into its smallest pieces, that's where you find the little gems. And, you know, it takes that extra, it's, it doesn't take hours. It just takes those extra few minutes. It takes that little bit of mental discipline. Um, so that's something I push with my teams a lot, which is if you're looking at a problem, don't bring it to me with an, it's, show, it's, the, it's the old show your work from like sixth grade yeah. math. Don't bring it to me with the answer. Bring it to me showing me that you've broken down the problem to its constituent parts and show me why this is the answer. Because if you show that and it all ties out, conversation's over. Yeah, I probably agree with you, right? Right? Yeah. It, but if you don't show that, then all you're going to get from me is questions. You're not going to get an approval. And so that's um, and that's something that I try to apply. I mean, I, I owe answers to Lynn all the time, and I, I definitely try to bring them to her that way. And I think if you hold yourself to that, your work level goes up, your output goes up. You know, you know, for, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of salespeople listening to this, right? So, you know, if you, if you ask yourself the question, what happened in that interaction? And you really break it down and you ask yourself that question, every interaction and you do that for a week and you write it down and you start to see the themes. Then you can look at it on Saturday and go, wow, there's this thing happening in seven of 10 interactions that I don't actually want to happen. I'm going to stop letting that happen. And then you might actually see like a step function change in output in, in sales, in whatever you know, mm -hmm. you're looking for. I wanted to ask, just to change gears a little bit, um, you view the industry through a different lens and you see, I think things just holistically, you know, where this industry is going, where our company is going. If you're a brand new sales rep and you're deciding to come into the solar industry and you're looking at all your options, different pay, different, you know, companies, dealers, all kinds of stuff. Why Sunrun? 
The first reason, I got your back. <laughs> That's like the first reason. <laughs> I didn't like, expect I spend that to be your an answer, enormous like amount it. of time every single week. And my team spends an enormous amount of time every single week thinking about what are we giving to our sales reps to sell? Is it the right thing? Is it the best thing? Is it priced right? Are customers going to react to it? Is, you know, and not just like batteries and panels and PPA terms, but like, you know, I, I, I spent 90 minutes of my day today talking about our sales platform and all the features that it needs to have if we want to not just be competitive, but be better than everybody else. I spent another hour of my day today talking about a battery that we're considering, you know, and literally market by market, price point by price point, do we think there's a segment that's going to buy this? You know, I get requests, you know, we were talking about Lynn having to say no to things. I get requests every day. Hey, why don't you launch this product? Why don't you do this thing? Mm -hmm. We don't just react to the request. Like we look at it and say, okay, by market, by not by zip code, but almost, you know, certainly by metro area, does, does, the, does this brand carry any weight? Do people care about it? Is someone going to buy this product at this price point in this market? And if the answer is no, then we're not going to waste people's time with it. So we have to say no a lot of times. But like, that's all we think about. That's, you know, 60 hours a week, you know, I don't know, whatever hours I work, like my whole team, all their hours, like the whole name of the game for product is what are we giving to our sales reps to sell? So, you know, if I sound like I care about what I'm doing and I'm and I sound reasonably competent at it, that's the number one reason. <laughs> well, no, right? so, you know what's funny is, so uh, in the early days when we were selling and we didn't have like a differentiated product at all, customers would ask like, what's the difference between you guys and, and your mm -hmm. competitors? And I would literally say, honestly, uh, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but me. Like, I'm the one who you're working with. I'm the one who's going to have your back. Like, you ever have an issue, you call me. Yeah. Like, you're going to have a better experience with me than anyone else that you can possibly work with. So when you say that, I... I mean, you know I'm joking when I say me. No, but, but I mean I, this machine. But the right? thing is, it's not a joke, though, because because other companies don't have you. They don't have Lynn. They don't have all these pieces that we have and I think a lot of sales professionals don't understand the trickle-down effect that has on their life and they they they're getting recruited by these other companies or they're looking at other options and they don't understand who is at the top and how that trickle-down effect ultimately affects them versus how ours does I mean and ultimately that's that's really the difference between us and I think our competition is the leadership trickle-down effect and how it eventually leads to a different experience for our salespeople. <laughs> I mean, I love that you took this seriously, but <laughs> I really, I really, like, I just, I want to, I don't want to make sure that this is coming across. There is an enormous number of people in our company yeah. who spend their time thinking about sales rep experience, sales rep tools, sales rep product, like products that we give our sales reps, like, in you know, the league, like, we have an enormous amount of time and resources and effort dedicated to making that experience great and making this the best place to sell. So, you know, when I say I got your back, what I mean is like, we really, we collectively, huge sure. number of people in the yeah. senior team, a lot of resources, everybody in this room, right? Every single person involved in making this podcast is, uh, is this, it's really all about making that experience as impactful and effective as, as we can. 
Well, and that's what people want. Like they want to make sure they want to feel like their job matters, right? Like mm-hmm. they, there's there's lots of places that you could go spend your time and 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 earn an income, right? But that's really not how you build a life that you're super proud of. You build a life that you're super proud of by doing things that are important to you that matter. One hundred percent. And I also want to go back to the you know the point I was making about Jigger Shah and how he said the two things that are hard that that really are are what's going to make renewables successful are the financing and the adoption. I just want to focus on the adoption. Our sales reps are our company. Like, if, like the, the thing that we've created, the opportunity to go solar and have this really interesting technology in your home will sit in warehouses. Like it doesn't cross the threshold into being reality without every single one of those interactions happening every single day. And so, you know, that's why, I mean, it's not just because we're, we're nice, right? Like that's why so much resource is devoted to right product and rep experience and platform and like making everyone successful because adoption is the biggest challenge. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to just add to that. Um, I've, you know, Ty and I are in recruiting meetings and a lot of our leaders are in recruiting meetings every single day. And I, I'll, I can confidently look at a, someone who's looking at coming and working with us and say, look, the first question that we ask ourselves as a company on almost every decision we make is how does this affect our customer experience? How does it affect our customer acquisition experience for the sales trip? Like those are the two leading questions that mm-hmm. essentially govern all decision making whenever we're thinking about everything. And and when it's like that's your baseline, it just changes the way that we all approach the problem, right? That's so, how we think in the product org too. Right. It's the exact same questions. Is this good for the customer? Is this good for the rep? Like, are we gonna actually move units is this going to happen because mm. if it's not going to happen let's not spend time on it i think this has been a really like um it's kind of a peek behind the curtain for a lot of the 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 sales leadership and the sales teams that often just talk about selling the product right like it really is good to to have these different opinions from highly competent people because like adam was saying sometimes they don't realize how much it impacts their, their experience. So um, we're about at time, but wanted to thank you for sharing with us. And we want to thank you guys and, and your whole team. Hopefully they listen to this and, and understand that we, we appreciate it. It's all, it's all part of the system that, that makes it work and, and creates a differentiated experience. So thank you for sharing with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah awesome thank, it was a pleasure. Thank you guys for joining us. And this has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.